We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Michigan. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. Welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of ours. I'll be joined by Brian today here live on Twitter Spaces. We've also got some pre-prepared listener questions that we're bringing to the table. We are recording this on a Wednesday, but... I think most of you guys will probably be listening to the podcast version on Thursday. And we're doing a giveaway that ends actually Thursday, September 21st. And if you fill out a survey for us, which is actually going to be in the episode notes, or if you visit our Twitter, you can probably find the link there. Uh, we will choose one person at random to get 90 days free of BuzzBeat Plus. That's where you can get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and early access to episodes hours and often days before. So definitely check that out. Uh, BG, how's everything going? Uh, not doing too badly. Um, hard to believe. Yeah, NBA basketball is here, man. Training camp, right around the corner, media days, all that sort of stuff. And I'm um, ready to get into it with you today. Yeah, so before we get to the listener questions, uh, there was some news that broke today. I guess we should probably mention briefly that the Hornets did sign Fayetteville native Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, it was reported that it was just a, a one-year deal, and I believe that one-year deal is non-guaranteed, so that gives Charlotte some flexibility there. Uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts on this, as I'm sure really any player that would have been signed at this point late in the offseason uh, probably doesn't move the needle or excite me all that much. Uh, and DSJ is is far from a shooter, so like you know you're not getting that out of him. He's never really developed that throughout the course of his career. So that's only going to shrink the spacing on the court. Can't say I watched a ton uh, of him over the years as he hasn't really been on great teams, but I, I kind of view this guy as like a, a slasher guy, a guy that tries to get to the rim as much as possible, but not really sure he's you know much more than anything other than that, like a highlight maker on the offensive end. And I think defensively he can create some events and, and maybe we get some of that off ball Terry Rozier style like steal and transition offense started with him. But not trying to go too deep on the 
the analysts here, but I, he's a rim pressure guy. He's a high flyer. He's a non-shooter. You know, I don't know if you preferred him uh, maybe to IT or Kimba. I don't know if you really had a preference, uh, but what are your thoughts on this signing? Yeah, I think I maybe would have like kind of preferred Kemba just for um, you know, the handful of nights that you get some, you know, pull up shooting production out of him, plus just like the fun of having him come back and and, and be a part of this and and be right. a guy that could um potentially be a mentor of sorts for a young LaMelo ball. So I kind of like that aspect, but there was probably a lot of like sentimental value in that for me. I was honestly like pretty indifferent because as Charlotte's looking to find, look, they needed to add, they need to add another ball handler. They had a a spot on the roster available for a, a backup point guard taking, um, a flyer on Smith is, is not so bad. I mean, I think at this point, we we know what Dennis Smith Jr. is. He's an incredible athlete at the point guard spot. Um, he's a guy that can pressure the rim. He can use that athleticism and that rim pressure to be a setup guy, or at least that's sort of something he brought to the table early in his career. It is kind of amazing that <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr. was a 28% usage guy his rookie year in Dallas, like when he was doing a lot of highlight chasing with the pre-Luca Mavs, which just seems... Hard to remember, honestly. I I do think someone like DSJ, who I covered at NC State, um, you know, going to NC State was a was kind of a weird fit for him because he wanted to come in and run spread pick and roll. And Mark Godfrey was the coach here at the time. And, you know, Mark Godfrey won's UCLA high post motion offense. And then he goes to Dallas and they're kind of a mess that season. And he's a rookie playing for Rick Carlisle, which has got to be kind of tough. And then Lucas shows up and he has, you know, eventually, essentially he has an opportunity to be kind of a second draft player, right? Someone that gets redrafted and after sort of maybe fizzling out at his first stop, but he ends up in New York City in like a rough time to be with the Knicks. So like kind of a tough spot to maybe get redrafted. Um, so I think at this point it's almost like kudos to him for even kind of hanging on to a role in the NBA, you know, really fighting for it with opportunities in Detroit and Portland, but Smith, like any of these other guards that were possibly available to sign in mid to late September, he's not going to do much in terms of helping this team win games next season. So, I mean, we can, we can certainly react to it because it's happening at a time of the year where there isn't there aren't like a ton of transactions happening right now and perhaps if he gets into some um you know if he gets into some second unit lineups with PJ Washington then he can run spread pick and roll and and see a clear lane and look to turn the corner and and, and make reads out of that or pressure the rim but Charlotte needed a ball handler uh, they needed someone who could force create help create turnovers defensively and they probably needed someone that could bring a little bit of rim pressure for the roster. So he, I think, I mean, I think he, in a discreet sense, he checks some of these boxes, but ultimately, um, you know, it's just, it's a, uh, if, if, if you're really relying on Dennis Smith jr. To be like, to run your second unit on a winning team. Like, I just don't see how that really quite fits into the, the realm of, uh, of of like realistic possibilities, he and Book Knight is interesting as like a backup, uh, you know, backcourt to two good athletes. So maybe there's something interesting there. But um, 
Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's not a surprise that this was the signing given his ties to the state, given that he's still young, that he was once a top ten pick, and and that he does check maybe some of these boxes at least in a marginal sense. But at this point, he, you know, he doesn't shoot and he's not a winning basketball player. So um, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll all be a little surprised and, and he'll be a contributor. But I just don't. I don't see this being something that really like moves the needle much at all for the the Hornets this season. And that's the thing. I think most people should have realized that at this point in the offseason uh, with the limited options that were available. Yes, there was the story with Kimba Walker and bringing him back to Charlotte or if you want in the continuity with IT and having him in the locker room again. Uh, but now we're left with DSJ. Yes, you have the the connections to North Carolina NC State crowd is going to like this signing a little bit more than most, but other than that, it's it's not something really uh, to get too excited about. And I believe he is coming off uh, an elbow injury as well. So mm-hmm. we'll go ahead and get into these uh, listener questions here. We have about six or seven of these, and uh, and obviously we have people here in Twitter Spaces as well. If they would like to speak, uh, if we have time, we can get you in between some of these questions. But the first question is actually from Eric Cooper, who's in. Twitter spaces right now at hanging with Cooper. He says, thanks for answering mine on the pod uh, this past week. His new question is, will LaMelo get a bump in playing time this year? Fans want him to play the whole game. Yeah, that is true. They want all 48 minutes uh, for LaMelo. So last season, Melo played just over 32 minutes per game, which isn't nothing, but I'm sure there's some room for a bump in minutes there. I think what some people often forget as it relates to LaMelo is that, number one, he's a young player and you don't want to add any kind of unnecessary mileage on him just for the sake of saying, you know, he's in the top 15 leaderboard for the most minutes played. But number two, he did get into foul trouble last year. Um, And I think sometimes you need to remember that. And he would sometimes get taken out like in the second quarter when you expected him to play six or seven minutes, maybe he only played three or four, and they saved those fouls for the second half. So that stuff adds up over time. So maybe JB and maybe Clifford should have let him, you know, play through those, and maybe Clifford will do that, you know, this upcoming season. But I don't think we can discount the foul trouble eating into his minutes, BG. So what are your thoughts on this uh, in terms of like him playing more minutes? Like, wh- where's that sweet spot for him? Yeah, the great point about about the fouls, and I think he was at times, you know, the victim of some some tough whistles uh, in various games. If you were sort of go back and and look at all of the all of the calls or whatever, but as a as an aggressive defender, you know, in passing lanes and stuff like that, you know, he's gonna he's gonna probably run himself into some fouls that I don't know some percentage of NBA players just aren't gonna put themselves into and some of that has to do with simply just like how uh, how he processes t- stuff defensively like he's willing he sees stuff and he's willing to, to take chances um, but there are some you know some some downside risks to that I suppose I think he's gonna have to play a little bit more this year yeah um, it just seems that's just part of one it's part of like the, the logical progression for him in terms of growth and also like 32 minutes per game is is a lot but there's there's there certainly is there's ability to jump from there and he was 28 
you know, around 28 minutes per game as a rookie. He jumps to 32 last year, which is pretty, pretty big. I, I don't know if we're going to get a similar, you know, if we're going to get four more points per game or a similar like percentage type jump from him, but I do think he'll play more, excuse me, in part because I just think they're going to need more from him in terms of creation, which is saying a lot because they were at times overly reliant on him last year. And and obviously he's great. He's incredibly talented, but for now you're going forward into the season thinking, well, who's this team's secondary ball handler? Like who is it? DSJ. Yeah. D- DSJ, <laughs> James Booknight, Terry Rozier. I mean, it's probably Gordon Hayward and, you know, assuming he's still holding up, but you know, he's not a rim pressure guy. And the, the point I'm making is like without bridges, um, yeah, you're probably going to need, I don't, I know we don't like talking about things in these terms, uh, when it comes to the, the fallout from this off season, but bridges in terms of the, the ball handling and the, the pick and roll and the rim pressure. Yeah. You're probably going to need more from LaMelo. And my guess would be that that also includes him having to play more minutes per game. I think because of his progression, because he's in his third year, you're going to want to see him play closer to, I don't know, 34, 35 minutes a game. Um, and just kind of progress, you know, progress that way. Um, I don't know if he'll get up to like 37, 38, that, that would be kind of a pretty big jump there, but yeah, I would agree with, everything that you're saying. And um, we just got to take into account some of that foul, foul trouble that he had last year. Mm-hmm. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, number two, actually section 107 at Bracey 103. He actually has a handful of questions here, but his first question is this. I, I like this question. Who's the most likely bench player from last year that becomes a starter under Cliff? So I don't know. I don't know if this is like a far-fetched idea on my part, uh, but I've got a feeling that Cliff is going to love Jalen McDaniels. Mm-hmm. And it feels weird you know, saying his name uh, because of now he doesn't really feel like a big part of the future with him being on the last year of his deal. Mm-hmm. But I think Cliff really would tap into some of his uh, defensive versatility. And I don't think necessarily Cliff really cares about the fact that he's on the last year of his deal. He provides something that not only that this team needs, but it's something that just meshes well with Cliff's philosophy. He's got plenty of versatility all defensive end of the court. He can defend all types of players, all types of roles. He's going to contest shots. He's going to rebound on both ends. Like that just fits what Clifford is looking for. 
And I know that he made like a jump last season with the ball in his hands, but he's still got room to grow there. He needs to get better at those corner three-point shots. He's been in the low 30s pretty much for his career. Obviously, it's a, it's a young career, but that's where he is in the corners. Mm-hmm. And so if he continues to make some of those little improvements here and there, I, I think that you know Clifford will love him. And he just seems like a perfect low usage plug and play glue guy that could sneak his way into the lineup. Also, like we've got to take into account that the one gaping hole, if you want to call it that, is with Bridges out of the pitcher, we assume there's going to be a potential spot at that three slash four. So if you're going to pick someone off the bench, maybe that's the role that you go look for someone there to kind of fill in. Now, obviously, Gordon Hayward could be healthy and then pj washington can just slide into the four because i think there's a pretty much a consensus when it comes to the starting five i don't know how you feel about this but i'm pretty sure most people think it's Lamelo, rosier hayward washington Plumley, at least to start the season mm-hmm. but to answer this question maybe it's far-fetched but i'm gonna say jalen do you have do you have other ideas yeah, well, so a couple of things. To just continue where you're going right now, like I think it's conceivable that I agree, like that's the projected starting five on paper. Uh Lamello, Rosier, Hayward, PJ, and Plumley for the time being as a as sort of a placeholder at the five spot. I guess you could make the case that Cliff could look at this and say, Well, we'll use PJ to sort of like be a second unit offensive guy for us and let's get a little more defense. Um Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, in the get let's get a, let's get a spot up, low usage wing wingy defender in the starting lineup, and obviously PJ and Jalen are going to play a, together a lot next season. I think in a in a bunch of different capacities. So even if you're not starting them or they're they're split up on the start, that doesn't mean those guys aren't going to play a lot. I think you're going to kind of need their collective length and defensive impact at times next year. So I think there's a case for that, but. I just think you're going to need to get some front court offensive pop too. And so maybe Hayward is enough of that. But if you're starting Plumlee, who we know what he can do as like a screen dive guy, he can catch a lob, he can pass a little bit. You, there's some stuff you can do with him at the elbow or on the short roll. But it could be a little tough offensively if you're going to play PJ or pardon me, if you're playing Plumlee and Jalen at the same time. Yeah. Like maybe there's a case to be made for that. In general, I think there's kind of a cop-out answer to this, which is that, you know, I don't think, we probably don't think of P.J. Washington as a bench player because he's played a ton of minutes. He's played a ton of leverage minutes for this team. And he's been, he started a lot of games for them. Mm-hmm. But he only started, like, what, 28 games last season? So I think there's a chance that, like, yeah, he he could very easily be a guy who starts every game this season or, you know, 90-whatever percent of the games that he plays in. So maybe he's a possibility to this. And I think Jalen is sort of like the other, you know, if not obvious, like good, reasonable choice. I think Cody Martin has a case as well. But you're going to, if that if you do that, you're probably going a little too small. Then all of a sudden the starting yeah. lineup, assuming Hayward is healthy, all of a sudden the starting lineup is LaMelo, Rozier, Cody, Gordon and Plumley, you know, that that's probably not I don't think that's the route that Steve Clifford's going to take for for various reasons and defensively I think there are just a ton of concerns with that with that type of of lineup so you really need like, you know, Jalen and or PJ out there to sort of like balance balance things a little bit. So, um 
I will say I will I will I will kind of take the the cheap uh, <laughs> cop out answer here, and I'll say uh, PJ Washington. But I I see exactly where you're coming from with the Jalen logic, and I think it's something he's a player type that fits that makes sense in as the the fourth fifth fifth option. You know, spot up, cut from the corners, shoot corner threes, get out in transition, and, and be impactful defensively. But, uh, but I think you could make that case for Cody. But I think sort of like the added positional versatility yeah. and length of Jalen McDaniel's makes him. Uh, a more likely candidate for that. And then Cody is like kind of the, the six man, the energy guy off the bench that can come in and replace Rosier, replace Gordon Hayward, replace McDaniels or PJ or whomever from there. Yeah. And you've even suggested like Hayward, maybe even coming off the bench. So maybe yeah. that, that could be a logical switch, especially if you're trying to get less mileage out of Hayward. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess I took PJ out of the question for this one. Cause he, he's kind of a weird one to kind of peg. Is he a starter? Is he a bench player? Because on the whole for his career, I would consider him a bench player, but I probably would assume that he's penciled in, like you said, for that power forward spot right now, just because he, that's where he ended up last season uh, with yeah. uh, Hayward out. So he, he's such an important player to them this year, man. It's, it's really, it's like kind of, I've thought about it a lot this off season, just like what they're going to end up asking out of him this year could be pretty immense. Like he's got kind of a major opportunity on his plate. If you're considering perhaps added playmaking responsibilities, uh, the need for him to be a shooter, the need for him to be versatile and at times an anchor defensively and my hopes would be, you know, when he's asked to to close games or to close halves or quarters or whatever as a, a small ball five, there's just um, a lot on his plate, and that's coming up for a guy who, you know, there was basically no chatter this off season about an extension. I mean, I guess something could still come together quickly here in the next couple of weeks uh, before the season starts, but um, you know, this is this is PJ likely getting to prepare for. Uh, a big season as he gets ready for restricted free agency uh, in less than yeah. a year from now. Yeah. I do wonder if that other situation also affects. <laughs> the for sure. Team. Yeah. Um, the next questions from the uh, same person from Bracy one Oh three on Twitter. Who is the most likely starter to end up in Cliff's doghouse? So the, the starting five that I just mentioned of those five, which one do you think is going to be in the doghouse from Cliff? This is a tough one for me because you can make a case for a couple. I, I feel like you can make a case for LaMelo. I really do. Um, just because he's so young and you, he could make some mistakes that could get under Clifford's skin. But I, I do think that Clifford has evolved as a coach. And maybe doghouse is a strong word. And I don't know if really any starter gets to that point. And I don't know. I, I think most people might say Rozier. But I, I don't know if it really gets to that point uh, because... I think his offense and his gravity are just way too necessary for this team. And when you're down a 20-point score, when you're down on that end of the court, when you need an offensive punch, you know, if Rozier gets in the doghouse, quote-unquote, you're taking him out and putting Cody Martin in. And while that may solve the defensive issues that Clifford tends to kind of lean on, uh, it definitely doesn't solve the issue in scoring the ball. But you know, I think that Clifford will at least try to use Rozier's mentality and competitiveness to try and draw the most he can out of Rozier on the defensive side of the court. 
But yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this question of the five, which one ends up in Cliff's doghouse. I think that Rozier can at least bring kind of like energy there, I guess. Yeah. And, and here's the same thing too. Like with Rozier, like I know we bag on his defense all the time, but by the same token, he's a player that does run off a lot of screens. He expends a lot of energy on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take away from that by, you know, shifting the impact over to the defensive end? Yeah, no, I mean, like it's... uh it's interesting because if starter is the key word in this question, in my opinion, right. because I think there are two guys on the bench that are, that are projected to be coming off the bench that could very well land outside of the rotation for Steve Clifford this year. And that's uh, Kelly Oubre and, uh, and, and James Booknight. I think both have like that kind of uh, potential this year. As far as the starters, if we're working off that projected starting five that we were talking about in the previous question, Richie, I think Rozier is, I mean, I don't think really like any of them necessarily. I think you could make, you made the case for Rozier. I agree with it entirely. So I do think it's important to, to remember like, cause, cause again, I've, I've, I've been critical about a bunch of different stuff of Terry's game the last couple of years, uh, especially on the defensive side of the court, but say what you will, his his spirit, his competitive drive is like a part of the DNA of this team right now. And like you can certainly, I'm sure that that's like a mockable thing to say because the Hornets have been okay, not great the last couple of years and they've gotten, you know, just destroyed in two straight play-in games. Certainly context is important there. But but Rozier as like they're the guy that takes tough shots for them and in the is is sort of swaggering um and is like one of the, has been one of the few veterans on this team and also happens to be tight with LaMelo and is underneath the the same Puma shoe umbrella as LaMelo I do think that that stuff matters it'd be one thing if Terry was was sort of it was trade was trade fodder at some point in time as like a means to get something else I think it might be tougher if it's just him be having a reduced role while the same kind of cast of characters are around, if that makes any sense. Also, while while his uh, extension is set to kick in. You know what I mean? Like, it just creates just kind of a weird... It would create kind of a weird situation. I suppose there's a chance someone like Plumley also... I know he's a veteran, and I, I know he's a veteran, and I, I know, like, you know, he has the ability to kind of be in the right place at the right time or whatever, but I could see if if he's not allowing them to defend pick and roll and to control the defensive glass in a certain way. And simultaneously, Mark Williams is ahead of the curve in terms of development. Then I could see, you know, I could see the roles being changed. And then as we discussed a few weeks ago, if you're having to also bake PJ Washington, playing some center minutes into the equation, you know, stuff just gets it just gets tight quickly with the, with the team in terms of like the center the, the center rotation. So, and you, you know, that's not even including mentioning guys like Nick Richards and and, and Kai Jones, uh, especially maybe someone like Kai Jones who who maybe we're gonna wanna uh, see play a little bit more. So, I, I think you could make a case for uh, for Plumley as well, but uh, some of that has to do with. Mark Williams, like really coming on as a defensive presence. I, I didn't think about him, but he's definitely somebody that could be in the doghouse with Clifford. But I, like I said, I don't think anyone falls under that category, but we'll see. And this next question, 
It's another one that I struggled with. Uh, besides Ubre, who may not even get minutes to begin with or not consistent minutes under Clifford, who will be the most reliable bench score this year? So another good question, another one that I kind of debated, um, and I'm really not sure I feel confident about this answer. First off, if, if P.J. Washington is penciled in as the starter, I guess we take him out of this scenario. Mm-hmm. So that would have been like the obvious answer if he was coming off the bench. It feels weird to say this, but maybe Cody Martin as a reliable bench score because first off, that's not really what you think of him as like, he's not known for, you know, being a scorer. But if you look at some of the points per game uh, last year, when you take out Uber, like he's up there, like in terms of the bench yeah, players. Yeah. So that might be the answer by default. And I know you've suggested bringing Hayward off the bench as a stabilizer, a playmaker, and obviously maybe even a scorer off the bench. But I think as long as he's healthy, I I fully see him pegged in as the starting forward. I guess the one player that I'm very interested in is Booknight. Now, I don't think he's going to get to the point to where he is the leading scorer off the bench. But out, out of anyone off the bench that could provide a little bit of that punch, it would be him. It seems like his points are going to be like, you know, one game he scores four points and the next game he scores 20. And then, that, you know, you know it, it, I can see it being very up and down with him. He just seems like a guy that is kind of polarizing when it comes to his scoring and not as consistent. So I really don't know how to answer this question, Brian. But if I had to choose by default, it might be Cody Martin. But I don't really think of him as a reliable scorer. Yeah, that type of like Ubre-esque up yes. and down, high variance in terms of the game-to-game shot efficiency. Um, I will say just a quick like point of clarification, like the the suggestions to move Hayward to the second unit, I do think it's something like worth exploring. I felt most tr- strongly about that when it looked like Hayward was gonna return late last season and you were already having success with yeah. Bridges PJ. and um, and PJ like working back in at the three four and playing together, and so I thought, well, this is a nice way to you'll you can have a a passer and a ball handler and a shooter and like a, a mismatch guy for the second unit. You don't have to break up this starting lineup. And again, Bridges was sort of there to act as like the secondary playmaker, you know, and with that next to Lamelo. Without that. I don't know if you can you can do it, you know. Like I, like I, that that option is something that maybe has to be shelved for the for the time being. And um, yeah, just I'm not I'm not sure. Like it's a a possibility at this point. Yeah, I I see the the point you made for Cody Martin is great, especially if he's going to probably play a lot of minutes off the bench. So if we're just talking about points per game, you know, he's at like somewhat of an advantage there. And if there's a decent amount of overlap of those minutes playing next to LaMelo ball, you know, and having this genius 21 year old passer set you up and get you easy looks and get you going in transition or get you spot up threes or cut dunks and lobs, just sort of those hustle garbage points that the Cody's pretty good at sprinting his way into. I think you can make a Cody's, you can make a case for him there. I think the hope has got to be that it's book night. I don't feel super confident in that. Yeah. But I think that's got to be the hope. And I, I don't think that also requires some outlier development growth from James Booknight either, necessarily. I really don't. Look, I Booknight was not my favorite prospect coming out of UConn being picked by the Hornets. There were some other guys 
um, namely Moses Moody, that I thought they should have gone with instead of at that pick. Um, and Moody looks like he's turning into a, a good player with the dubs. Um, but I do, I watched a lot of James Booknight. I scouted him heavily before the draft, and I saw every second he played with Charlotte this year, and I watched a decent amount of him playing with the Swarm. Like, there is some, I don't necessarily love him in the microwave scorer kind of role, you know? Where all of a sudden he comes in, he runs the second unit, he gets however many pick and rolls, and you're just asking him to like create a lot off the dribble. But there's that's definitely going to be like part of the picture for him this year. And I think if you can get some of that and blend it with what I think he does best, which is coming off screens, moving without the ball, being a cutter, being a guy that you can use in actions and designs, um, being a guy that you can get into the ghost screen game with Terry Rozier or pardon me with LaMelo ball, you know, using that action with book Knight as the, the guy who's running up to LaMelo then slipping out in the other direction. And you're using that misdirection as a means to help LaMelo get downhill or turn the corner or drive it one way. So I kind of like book Knight being used more in, in those roles, but if you get some mix of the two, I think there's a chance. And if he shoots it, if, you know, if there's some development and growth with the jumper, um, and there's some growth in terms of the finishing package for him because he got a lot of his two point field goal attempts blocked last year. Then there is the chance for him to kind of like take a step and, and become a more like featured offensive player. So I'll, I'll, I think I'll agree with you on Cody for sort of like the obvious reasons that I laid out, but I think the hope has to be that it, that it's James book night this year. Yeah, if you take Ubre out of the equation and you're just focusing on the rest, I think if Cody Martin is your leading scorer off the bench compared to maybe Book Knight, I don't think you're going to be as successful as a team. Um, and Book Knight does have that high variance on a night to night basis that I, I just I'm, I'm expecting uh, the, for this upcoming season. But if he were to put together reliability as a bench scorer, I think that would bode well for this team. Not that they're going anywhere, but. Um, it would be a good sign uh, moving forward. So last question uh, from Bracey103. We still got like two or three more questions after this, but his last question is this. Who will be the leading rebounder on this team? And I'm not sure if I revealed this last year on a pod or if I did it like through text or in the Slack channel, but like one of my hot takes last year was like LaMelo being the leading rebounder. Ah, uh, I like it. I like going it. into the 21, 22 season. And he came close. Like he came with the, the third most rebounds on the team behind bridges and Plumley. So I'm going to go out on a limb this season and, and maybe I just believe it a little bit more. And I will claim that LaMelo ball will lead the Hornets in rebounding uh, for the 22, 23 season. Uh, naturally, like he's, he's a good rebounder and he does a good job of judging where the ball is going to come off the rim. And obviously he's always thinking about taking defense and turning it into offense. So he's, he's kind of antsy trying to go after those balls and turning it into offense for Charlotte. But number two, like with, with bridges off the team, um, so his, he's out of the equation. And I just think Plumlee sees a little bit less time this year with the, I mean, I wouldn't say like a limited role per se, but I think maybe Mark yeah. Williams starts to split some minutes with him as the season progresses. So I think this season more than anything is going to be a like rebound by committee type. And I don't necessarily think that there's going to be this one rebounder that is like ahead of the pack by a lot, 
But I do think that LaMelo will be the guy that leads this team in rebounding. Now, one thing I do have a little bit of uh, hesitancy answering LaMelo, I wonder how much Clifford is going to focus on defensive rebounding like he has in the past in terms of keeping more guys back for defensive rebounding. So I don't know. And I don't know how that's going to pan out and how that's going to work out itself out in the numbers, but I'll say LaMelo, but that's it's, it's kind of a hot take. Yeah, no, I actually, I think that is a hot take, but there's a lot of good logic behind it in part because I, I'm, I'm pretty worried about Charlotte's half court offense heading into next season. And if they end up having to like, especially because they don't, they're not going to have the defense to sort of like take the game into the mud, you know, and, and just grind it out there that I could see there's some scenario that involves them trying to force more transition. And one of the ways to do that would be LaMelo just getting defensive rebounds, right. And skipping the outlet pass step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I could see that whether that is something that, is dictated from the coaching staff or LaMelo just as, as a guy who reads the game at a very high level says, I got to do this, you know, (laughs) because, because we're not getting anything in in terms of the half court offense. So I, I actually, I think it's one of those things where I think if you set the betting odds, Plumlee would be the odds on favorite, but given the fact that I, I don't know if he'll finish the season in Charlotte given the fact that I think there are other guys that are coming for more minutes at that center spot this year. We just talked about that. Mark Williams, PJ Washington, you may need to see some Kai Jones there at times this season. And other than PJ Plumlee's not going to play with any of those guys. I will say if we're looking at just straight like defensive rebounding percentage, not in terms of boards per game. Mm-hmm. I bet it's going to be Mark Williams, like in terms of defensive rebounding percentage, like the percentage of defensive rebounds that are grabbed when this player is on the court. Right. Um, you know, Williams was 20, <laughs> 20% defensive rebound rate his freshman year at Duke, which is elite. And as a sophomore, 21 and a half percent defensive rebound rate. So pretty elite levels. He obviously has the length. If he's bulked up that lower body at all, that's always, that's obviously going to help him from a like box out rebound, you know, a paint positioning standpoint. And also if, if he's being used in terms of, if he's being asked to drop in the pick and roll, like he's just naturally going to be in the lane on jump shot attempts and stuff like that, you know? So, I, I think Williams has the the chance to to be the guy that leads him in terms of percentage. But you know what? I'm going to go with you in terms of rebounds per game. I'm going to agree and say Lamelo Ball. Nice, nice. Okay, a couple more questions here uh, from Cam at Cam H K Y on Twitter. What's the plan? Is there a plan? Why isn't there a plan? <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, "This is a question for you, Brian. Why is Brian so handsome sometimes, but looks like a cave troll other times? Questions that need answers." Yeah, well, on that la- that last question, I mean, first off, what are uh, what are friends for, um, <laughs> if not to just make fun of you? Um, honestly, man, I don't know. Like, there are times I get on here and I'm looking the video and I'm like, okay, yeah, not too bad. And there are other times I get on here and I'm like, oh, woof! Like, I, like I need to shave. My eyes look like I didn't get enough sleep last night. I like need to go exercise. I need to eat better for the next week. I honestly think it has a lot to do with me being like an angles guy. Like I 
think I think sometimes my my like my appearance largely is determined on what angle you're seeing me from. And into that, I think what the the real answer is that the I need to get some better lights in my home office. I think is I think is really like I have two lamps. Uh, one of which was I bought very cheaply, and the other one was a gift from a friend. And neither of them seemed to do me much help. So uh, I would blame it on the lights. And uh, if I had to pick sort of like one obvious reason as opposed to just criticizing my own uh, attractiveness <laughs> level. So I'll go with that. Um, it's, funny. it's funny. His ears must have been burning because he just popped into the Twitter spaces. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, um, he'll have to listen to that on the uh, the pod. But Richie, speaking of the, uh, the plan or the lack, lack of a plan, uh, do you have any initial thoughts on that? I feel like I've addressed this a little bit uh, in the past couple of pods, but basically... I don't know if there was much of a plan to begin with other than like the big plan of re-signing Miles Bridges. And then once when that news hit the day before free agency, the plan went out the window and they could not adjust. And the whole thing is on hold uh, because of some legal matters. So it doesn't look great um, from the perspective of them just not being able to adjust on the fly. Uh, but I do have a little bit of sympathy for the fact that it just seems like their inactivity is due mostly to Miles Bridges. Now, what's funny to me is like I'm seeing this a lot or not, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've seen this on Twitter where the removal or like the absence of Miles Bridges for this team is not going to have that. A big of effect as maybe most people are thinking, which disagree. I disagree. Strongly like, disagree. I disagree. Like I yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many wins he really cost the Hornets this year, but it, it's this team is gonna look very different without him out there on both ends of the court. But I think offensively, it, it it's gonna be a struggle sometimes when you don't have his ability to kind of create off the ball and just just some of the steps that he was making with the ball in his hands and driving to the rim and even his three point shot for the most part was fairly consistent. So I, I keep going back to that. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, it does make the Hornets look a little bit bad in the sense that there doesn't seem to be any adjusting on the fly. But I don't really know what their plan was to begin with this offseason other than re-signing MB. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, I mean, first off, they're gonna miss Bridges a lot. I mean, and uh, I mean, as we, you and I, Richie, you and I recorded right after this happened. Like, good riddance. I don't want to see that guy in a Hornets uniform again. I'll live with Correct. happily live with all of the deficiencies that come along with him without him being there. But his ability to run pick and roll and get to the rim, be like a pressure point on the rim, uh. Also, as a screen and dive guy, as a guy that could pick and pop, attack a closeout, could finish in traffic, yeah, um, and and was only getting better and could give you some secondary playmaking as well. Yeah, they're gonna really, really miss that, especially because there's not like an obvious guy on the roster to to make up for it. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think the plan going into this off season was re-sign Bridges. But to do it, I think the last night we can really see like the outline of a plan is the night of the draft. Now, I don't like the plan, right? If we're looking at just the 2022 offseason, because... And the coaching the coaching th- thing threw a wrench, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, they didn't... You know, Steve Clifford wasn't even hired the night of the draft, right? Like, they were without a head coach that night, as were the... Um, 
the Utah Jazz, if I'm remembering correctly. But that night, again, we talked about it during the live show that night. I, I know uh, Spencer has has tweeted about this a bunch. I know we've all talked about it. It's been discussed previous uh, in other times. I know when we've gone on other pods, we've discussed this as well, too, Richie. But they, I mean, they essentially uh, swapped the 13th pick, which was Jalen Duran, so they could save that salary slot for the roster this year and bring back bridges at, uh, you know, a max or something close to a max or whatever without what was like shaving a little bit of extra money, you know? And I think it's one of those things that if, if they weren't trying to like budget in a, this type of deal for bridges, they probably would have used both of those picks that night. Um, That's now, true. All of that blows up in their face um, for reasons that aren't related to basketball again. But uh, but if you want to pan back further, if you want to go back to like the start of the LaMelo tenure, which is nuts that it wasn't even two years ago. Like they drafted him in November 2020. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's September 2022. But a week later they go out and they get Gordon Hayward. And to do that, they, they, they stretched Nick Batum to be able to acquire Gordon Hayward. So in, in the next off season, they, they hit Terry Rozier with a massive uh, contract extension. So it seems like after they drafted LaMelo at three, they immediately lost any sort of like patience for a full rebuild. And they immediately went into whether it was because they thought they had to build a winner up around LaMelo or because the uh, demand from the top down was where let's build a team that can maybe make the playoffs, you know, and not do another year of development with LaMelo and Devante and Malik Monk and PJ Washington and Miles Bridges and Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels. Like all of those guys were on the roster, you know, um, at that point in time while we've seen the last two years play out, they have had chances to make like win now type moves. Wouldn't you say to whether it was to, to swing one of these deals for miles Turner yeah. or at various points in time to, to trade for another center or to trade for another you know player X, Y, and Z. And they've been pretty guarded with the draft picks. So, Part of me thinks they've been trying to kind of do two different things at the same time. We've always and in, said that, yeah. And in, in doing so, haven't really done either one of them that well, despite some bad luck and you know the, the injuries to Gordon Hayward, you know, really short circuited the last couple of of seasons. But if you're going to also build for the future, even if you're not doing the full like teardown. You've got to also be able to like nail stuff on the margins, and they've just largely like sat stuff like that out. I mean, maybe the the draft night deal in twenty twenty one where they get you know they they trade for Plumlee and and they get another pick and they use that to get JT Thor. Like maybe you can squint at that and say that's one of those moves. Um, but you know they had cap space at the end of last summer and they ended up just using it on Kelly Oubre. You know. Um, maybe there's, you could have done some more creative stuff with that. Um, so and, and maybe you could have done more creative stuff with Terry Rozier before you signed him to a, a big extension. So I think the plan has been that there's just like, there is some cognitive dissonance between what makes sense long-term or in the interim term building around LaMelo 
and also like the pressure to like put a winning product on the court and try to get into the playoffs for the first time in X number of years. And uh, it feels like that's what the, that's what they're going to do this season again, but with a different coach and just like with a roster that is like obviously um, not as good. You almost wonder why they're kind of in two spots at once. Like, is it people in the building like having dissenting opinions, or is it they just don't know how to go about it? I'm not really sure. Part part of me thinks they're just trying to keep it ambiguous so you can't <laughs> criticize them. Like, oh, your your rebuild has been poor. No, no, we're not rebuilding. Or if you come out of the other angle, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're trying to uh, go for go for the wins now. Oh no, we're not we're not doing that. Have we made any big trades? We're we're trying to develop our younger players. So it's yeah. it's so ambiguous. It's it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, I do want to get Cam in here real quick before we finish off on our last question. Sorry, I missed, missed my answer earlier, uh, and, if, and if you guys have already touched on this, please let me know. I feel like I'm one of the worst about this is just continuously looking back and seeing all the mistakes that uh, that we think that, you know, the, the front office has made. What is the what, what would you guys say is, is the best path forward? Uh, I, I, I assume that the front office and Clifford are going to need to see that this roster is probably not enough to compete in the East. Uh, assuming that's the case, and, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not. Um, What's what? What do you guys think is the next best step forward to kind of, you know, get get the prospects in the future uh, to be a little brighter? Is it is it trying to get uh, some picks for Rozier, maybe a, a young player? I, I know that. I mean, I I don't know if we have to give a pick to get off Hayward's number. I don't think so because he's still a useful player. I guess it kind of depends on what how his season is. But what you know, ideally, let's say that we're we're out of it before the trade deadline. Um, what what do you guys think the the best move is moving forward? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good question, and I think it's something that anyone sort of like analyzing this team from the outside looking in should be asking themselves right now. I know it's something that I've thought about since probably July. I know we Richie, we've talked about it on the pod. We've talked about it in the Buzzbeat thread. Uh, I know Spencer's been very vocal about this stuff as well. Um, I'm not sure if we all agree entirely on, on, on everything, but again, it's sort of like, it's that question of, well, well, what's the, what, what's the best thing for them to do this year? Let me preface this by saying, I don't think they're going to take this approach because this does not sound like something that a Steve Clifford coach team will do. Uh, especially one that is under the directive of Michael Jordan, where I'm going to guess they're going to like fight and claw and try to get into the playoffs, you know, or the play in, I don't think they'll be able to do that. But by that point in time where they've sort of like reached that logical conclusion, it'll probably be too late for a full on tank. Um, It's tough because there's, I think you could also like what I think they should do. Let me answer the question. I think they should do like uh, they should hit the reset button, you know, like I, I know there's there's always this this existential concern about LaMelo leaving. Totally get that. But at the end of the day, like what they're doing now, that's the thing that's causing the stress. You know what I mean? Like this uh, this being kind of mediocre, not really having like the uh, an obvious path to jumping to being a, a, a an obvious playoff team. Um and, and making sure that there are like the young good pieces around him to to build going forward. So 
I would try to see what you can get for Rozier. Mm-hmm. I would try to see what you can get on the trade market for Gordon Hayward. Um, I do think there are a couple deals where if you're, de- it's very team dependent on and situationally dependent on where you would be moving Hayward to where you could get value back for him. I mean, I think any of these sort of like Lakers hypotheticals are like a little interesting because that's one of the, you know, packages being built around Hayward or, or Russ or mm-hmm. whatever. But Richie, I think you were even texting about this the other day about, uh, uh, you know, about Hayward um, in, in sort of like the, the complications with, with, with moving him um, and sort of what you would like to see. But um, I think they just need more shots at drafting young talent with, a, with upside with 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 guys that have starter potential or star potential and to do that you need lottery picks you need <laughs> best kind of lottery picks you need top 5 picks there's a really good draft coming up with some potentially generational prospects headlining it charlotte has two first round picks one of which they control which is theirs and they have you i think they have jazz's second round pick which is yeah, the, which which is going to be you know might be pick thirty or you know or pardon me pick thirty one or thirty two. Um, it's gonna you know look it's going to be like a little tough to get into the tanking race because I don't think that's going to be their directive from the outset and there are so many teams right now that are committed to it. Uh, Oklahoma City, um, Utah, uh, I guess Houston. Um, so it's so it's tough to see them like cracking into that group. But yeah, I mean my thought would be like you need to get a star type player to pair with LaMelo and the way you do that in Charlotte is is through the draft. So I would try to trade off what I don't need long term. Um you have some salary pieces to move if you needed to to do some stuff with that Ubre Plumley um that are expiring contracts so like you you've got some levers to pull i just don't to to sort of go this reset route um i just don't see them doing that unless they're absolutely forced into that corner with injuries or something along those lines yeah i think a team owned by mj i think i mentioned this on the previous podcast i can see them actually making a trade to improve the team or at least in theory right try to improve the team before i could see taking the route that you suggested although for the long term prospects of this team that's probably the way to go i think the issue is because they are caught in no man's land it's going to be hard to do one thing or the other in a, in a fashion that is quick uh in a fashion that gets you to where you want to be because they're stuck in the middle you know they're not going to reach a top four team in the east but they're not going to be able to bottom out enough to get to the where they are with the jazz and and, and teams like that so but I agree with everything you just said there, Brian, in terms of the preferred ideal path in terms of how to go from here. But it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So last question. I want to keep this like real brief. Um, we're kind of up against an hour here. <laughs> uh, this is from at not that heat uh, on Twitter. He says plus or minus 35 and a half wins, 35.5 wins this year. If plus, tell me why. So I'm going to keep this brief. I, I think... Charlotte finishes 11th or 12th and misses on the play-in playoffs altogether. I kind of tiered the teams in the East real quick. I, my top tier, I've got the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Celtics. My next tier, I've got the Heat and the Cavs with their acquisition of Mitchell. 
And then I've got the Nets, Raptors, and Hawks. So that right there are eight teams. And so now you're kind of closing in here on the play-in. And I still got the Bulls and the Knicks above the Hornets, which makes number nine and ten. So ideally, um, if they want to make the play-in, they're going to have to pass either the Bulls or the Knicks. I do think when it's all said and done, they're going to be finishing 11th or 12th. In terms of the win total, 35 and a half like feels right uh but i will go under i i think also it it kind of speaks to the fact that a lot of the other teams have tried to get better around charlotte and then charlotte on the other hand has gotten worse from last year when they won like 40 what 42 43 games i can't remember off the top of my head but so you know dropping from the 40 mark down to the 34 mark uh feels like a big drop but it also feels like it's expected just because of all the teams in the east that have been either kind of on par or even below them that have gotten better or tried to get better like even the pistons for example like that could be a team even though they're young they could be competing with charlotte just for the win total so i'll say under 35 and a half yeah, so I before we recorded, I looked at a couple of sports books that had the Hornets around like 36, 36 and a oh, half. Wow. So part of me did think like, hey, I could answer this question and you know, maybe pick up a little bit of value, you know, in terms of that. Um, but I first off, I agree with you in terms of how you tiered the Eastern Conference and sort of where the Hornets fit into that larger ecosystem. Um I think my initial reaction to this is that they finish under, not by a ton. Right. Um, this is going to be one of those, you know, Dante was wrong. Hell freezes over at 34 degrees and they're going to win 34 games or whatever. And, um, and, you know, not be in contention for one of the top picks, but missing out on the playoffs or the play in as we head into uh, extension talks with LaMelo ball in Charlotte. So I will say under, cause I think there's a little bit more room there for me, but, um, just cause I'm not really high on the upside of this team. So I'll go under, but I do think 35, 36 wins sounds like, man, it kind of sounds that's, about right. Yeah. That's what, that's why Vegas is always so good. They, they give you those tempting numbers, but yep. Yeah, yep. Well, we appreciate everyone who joined us here on Twitter Spaces. If you guys join late, uh, the full version will be out tomorrow. It'll be released a couple hours earlier on BuzzBeat Plus. If you want 90 days free of BuzzBeat Plus, please enter uh, the survey for a giveaway contest, which is going to be in the episode notes. But you do need to do it by Thursday, September 21st, and I will pick a winner either later that night or early on Friday. So we appreciate you guys joining. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. For Brian, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 